Thanks very much, Ian. We are going to be covering the whole of chapter 2 today, so do keep uh, your Bibles open in front of you. So the question that we're going to start asking ourselves this lunchtime, maybe two questions, is how do you feel about sharing the gospel? How do you feel about telling people that they need to repent, turn from their sin, in order to receive forgiveness? And then consequently, how do you, what do you make of the mission of the gospel to the nations? How do you feel? What do you make of the gospel to the nations? So if you were with us last week, my big encouragement to you for 2020 is to get behind Jesus' agenda for the gospel to the nations. So that was my encouragement to you last week. So I thought that I should practice what I preach, and I made a concerted effort uh, this week just to speak to people about Jesus. Sunday afternoon, Speed of Use Market for about an hour, me and a friend, we went around speaking to people about Jesus. I mean, it sounds really brave, uh, but let me tell you how I was feeling. Uh, firstly, very cold. Uh, next, I felt really pathetic, really small, and really awkward you know, when people brush you aside. I mean, it wasn't a great feeling. I spoke to someone called James, uh, James and Hilbert. James, I, I told him that Jesus was king. Then he asked me, oh, what does that mean? So I said, it means that Jesus is the boss. Um, he is the one that you should listen to. And if you do something that is against Jesus, you need to change. And how do you think I was feeling? Uh, well, to be honest, it felt really uncomfortable uh, telling that to James. So the question, how do you feel about telling someone to repent in order to receive forgiveness? Are telling them that they're wrong about how they think about marriage and sexuality, wrong about abortion being a right, wrong about how they use their time and money, and that they need to repent about living for themselves and to live for Jesus. How do you feel? And so what do you make of getting behind Jesus' agenda about the worldwide spread 
of the gospel. Uh, well, if Jesus' agenda is to go for year-long holidays, I mean, we really go along. Uh, but sharing the gospel is hard, right? Uh, it makes us feel really awkward. And I'm sure that all of us, I mean, even the boldest of us, uh, finds it hard. And so we, we don't get behind Jesus' agenda. We, we focus on other things in life. Uh, so how do you feel? And what do you make of Jesus' agenda of the gospel to the nations? Well, this lunchtime, for the next 20 minutes or so, Luke, our author, he wants to assure you that sharing the gospel is such a big deal. And so to spur you on, despite feeling uncomfortable, his desire is to urge you to get behind the agenda of spreading the gospel to the nations. But just before we go into our text today, um, here's a tip on how to read Acts. So paying attention to the genre of the the Bible book that you're reading is really crucial to understanding it. So the genre of Acts, it's a biblical narrative, and therefore it's a description of events rather than a prescription of things to do. Acts is not a how-to manual, but it's a story recounting on events that happened long ago. So we cannot immediately apply the events in Acts today. If some of you guys were here with us last term, we look at the book of Judges, and you remember Ehud, he's a ninja assassin, so he's the one that sticks a sword into a fat man's belly. Uh, so Judges, like Acts, is, is not a how-to manual. Um, it's a narrative. And we at Com Garden, we will get shut down if we come out of uh, the lunchtime using Judges as a how-to manual. Uh, well, it's a bit of a silly example, but the same logic applies. Um, stuff happens in Acts but they aren't necessarily giving us a how-to lesson on Christianity today. And if you think about it, false teaching uh, very, ha- very often happens in churches when a genre of Bible books are not taken seriously. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the passage doesn't apply to us today. The key here is in narratives, is to appreciate the flow of the narrative, and then to ask what theological truth our author is trying to teach us today, then ask what actions should result from that truth. So free for you to clarify this question during the question time. Uh, but if you guys are ready, let's, let's dive in. Remember the question is, how do you feel about sharing the gospel? And what do you make of the gospel to the nations? Uh, let's see what God has to say today. So if you heard how Ian was reading, our passage starts out with an amazing, unique event in world history. It is a day of Pentecost, the pouring out of the promised spirit. So look down to verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided fires as tongues appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Uh, The day of Pentecost is first and foremost a Jewish event. Pentecost means 50, and that's 50 days after the Passover. And that explains why there were so many Jews in Jerusalem that day. Uh, Jews who were living in other parts of the world came back to Jerusalem for that event. But the main event was not the festival. It was something out of this world. I imagine the fear, the awe, the wonder 
when you hear the howling sound of a mighty rushing wind plummeting down from the sky. And then as you expect to see hairs being flipped around or togas being lifted or dust being thrown into the sky, you don't see any sign of the wind. But instead, you see something like fire streaming into the room, plummeting down at a frightening pace. And all of a sudden, the fire slows to a gentle pace, it hovers above them, and then it starts to divide. And the tongues of fire are resting on each of the 120 men. The sound of the wind fades, and the silence for a moment. Then suddenly, you hear a voice starting to shout praises in Greek, followed by another in Arabic, another in English, another in French, another in German, another in Korean, and another in Singlish. Uh, Probably not Singlish. And very soon, the whole room uh, is filled with people shouting, singing, extolling the praises of God in different languages. I mean, what a scene it must have been. Uh, just note that tongues are, in fact, languages and not some form of angelic language. But a key question to know is there in verse 12. What does this mean? And the man asks, what is going on? Are they drunk with new wine? What does this mean? And that's where Peter, he stands up to explain. So we're on point two of the handout, the explanation. Uh, So the first thing that Peter says is, come on guys, it's only the third of the day, it's only 9 a.m. They are not going to be drunk at this time. But look what Peter says in verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, that in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall see dreams, and every male servant and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I'll show wonders in heavens above, and signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, So what does this mean, Uh, the people ask? According to the prophet Joel, um, he is saying that we are in the last days. God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. But then if you notice, Peter does something very strange. He didn't stop there. He starts talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And then you might ask the question, what has the resurrection of Jesus got to do with the pouring out of the Spirit? And so here's a bit to follow closely. I look at verse 23. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Notice how Peter, he, he's not like me on Sunday speaking to James. Uh, he doesn't mince his words. Uh, you crucified, you killed. But Peter also says that it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. God had to raise Jesus up. 
And you must why. Like, why is that the case? Why did God have to raise Jesus up? Look at verse 24. Uh, that starts with a four. Explaining why. And Peter quotes from David, King David, the great Old Testament king of Israel, and Psalm 16 about a king who will never die. Look at verse 27. For you, that is God, will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And the question there is, is David speaking for himself as he writes that psalm? And as great as David was, Peter makes it clear that David wasn't speaking for himself because he died and he stayed dead. Rather, he was speaking about a future son, someone of his line who will come, who will not die. Look at verse 27. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to, to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of the descendants on his throne. So why did King David prophesy about a future son who would not die? Verse 30, it's because of the promise made by God. To understand this promise, we need a bit of Old Testament context. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, it's this big promise in the Bible. God made a promise to David, also known as the Davidic promise. And the promise that God made to David was that there will be a son that comes after David who will be established forever as a king. So David prophesied about a future son who would reign forever because of this promise that was made by God. So Jesus, David's son, killed by Jews, a promise made by God of David's son who will reign forever. So what's the result? You see, it's not possible for Jesus to be held by death. God had to raise Jesus. Being a promise-keeping God, God had to be true to his character, meant that God had to raise Jesus. Jesus. So that's the first step. The Jews, they killed Jesus. God had to raise him up because it was not possible for him to be held by death. But remember the question is, what does this mean? What is happening here? Knowing that Jesus was raised up by God still doesn't fully explain the spectacle before them. So we need step two. Not only was Jesus raised, Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand and is now pouring out the Spirit. Look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus was exalted to God's right hand as prophesied by David. And not only was he sitting at God's right hand, what else was he doing? He received the the Spirit from the Father, and it's him, Jesus, who is pouring out the Spirit. Jesus is pouring out the Spirit. That's what they were seeing that day. So they killed Jesus, but Jesus had to be raised from the dead. Not only raised, he was exalted to the Father's right hand, and it's Jesus right now who is pouring out the Spirit. So remember the question? What does this mean? The men ask. Seeing the Spirit being poured out can only mean one thing. Jesus would say, I am 
at the Father's right hand. I am at the Father's right hand. Jesus is now sitting at the Father's right hand. Let's talk about fireworks. Uh, personally, I'm not like, a massive fan about fireworks, but I, I do enjoy a good show. Uh, 5th of November last year, Guy Fox Day, I was standing in the cold in Greenwich Park uh, looking at the fireworks. And one of my favorite fireworks uh, is what I call gold dust. Uh, you know the one that um, looks really shimmery and it's really big, it goes with a big boom and it's all gold that comes down. Um, maybe you might say that's a bit like individual tongues of fire coming down from the sky, except they don't rest in here. But, you know, every time you hear the big bang and you see the gold dust coming down from the sky, uh, you would have seen uh, a single rocket right, flying up into the sky before that. Uh, the one that goes... You see the rocket going up before the big bang. So gold dust falling from the sky meant that the rocket had gone up to the sky. Uh, no rocket, no gold dust. Likewise, the spirit being poured out of heaven means that that Jesus had taken his seat right next to the Father. No Jesus, no spirit. No spirit without Jesus sitting at the Father's right hand. Last week, we saw that uh, it was the day of ascension of Jesus. This week, we see the day of the descension of his spirit. And that's why Peter can conclude there in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord is Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God. And Jesus is Yahweh. Because remember the prophecy in Joel, God is pouring out his spirit. Jesus is pouring out his spirit as prophesied by the prophet Joel. And Jesus is also the Christ. Christ means anointed one, or Messiah, or if you like, David's offspring. So Jesus is the Christ because he is the resurrected promised offspring. So what does this mean? It means that right now, as we speak, Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. You know, but at this point you might say, okay, great, hang on a minute. There's one problem. Uh, We weren't there. How can we know for sure? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was a one-time event in history, proving that Jesus really did rise and took his seat at the Father's right hand. But none of us was there. But remember, Theophilus, the, the reader of Acts, he probably only received the book of Acts 40 years after the event of Pentecost. And he too, he wasn't there. So how would this the story, how would that apply to him? And there's one last piece of the puzzle, and that's the outcome of Pentecost, and that's our third point today. So look to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift the Holy Spirit. Down to verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. What was the outcome of Pentecost? Uh, People were called to repent. The offer of forgiveness was stretched out. 
for the first time in world history, repentance and forgiveness is an offer to all. You see, Theophilus was not there to witness Pentecost. But the fact is that every time he shared the gospel with someone, he affirmed that Jesus is at the Father's right hand. So we started uh, this talk asking, how do we feel when we share the gospel? What do we make of Jesus' agenda of the gospel to the nations? Well, let me tell you, it's nothing less than a demonstration that Jesus is at the Father's right hand. And there's no smoke without fire, or fireworks, and there's no fireworks without the rocket. And, but if you see the smoke, you know there will have been fireworks. And if you see the fireworks, you know there will have been a rocket. Every time you share the gospel, you prove that the Spirit was poured out. And with that, you know that Jesus has ascended to the Father's right hand. And sometimes we really forget that and it hasn't always been like this. It wasn't always the case that forgiveness was offered to all. And not in the Old Testament, not before Jesus came on the scene, not before he ascended and took his seat next to the Father, not before he poured out the Spirit. This is the last days where the risen Lord is pouring out his Spirit on all flesh. Forgiveness is on offer. It was not always like this. And we forget what a privilege it is to be living in the last days. Jesus is right now, as we speak, at the Father's right hand. I, I wanted to bring uh, a big like, letter J helium balloon and let it hover in the sky above us. Uh, but my wife Matilda said it would be a bad idea, so I didn't do it. Uh, but I really want to etch this thought into your minds that Jesus is ascended and he is right now at the Father's right hand. Every time you tell someone the gospel, you prove that Jesus has ascended to his heavenly throne. On Sunday when I told James that he needed to change and Jesus in charge and not him, I prove that Jesus is at the Father's right hand. And every time you tell someone to repent of the views on gay marriage or abortion or the use of money or the idolatry or the rebellion against God, there is the ascended Lord Jesus sitting at the Father's right hand, holding out his royal scepter, pouring out his spirit and drawing people to himself. Jesus is saying, I am at the Father's right hand. Right now, Jesus is there drawing people to himself. So how do you apply to this passage? Last week, we saw that Jesus' agenda for 2020 and until the day he returns is the worldwide spread of the gospel. This week, Luke is trying to inspire in you certainty that the risen Lord is really on his throne. Yes, whenever you try, it's, it's a bit awkward. Uh, it's, it's uncomfortable. It feels really pathetic. Trust me, I, I feel that as well. Uh, but there he is. Think about it. He is at the Father's right hand. and He is empowering you as you speak. So back the gospel to the nations with greater certainty. Let me ask, are you doing so? Um, how do you spend your money? Do you give to gospel ministry? Do you give to the hurts? 
How do you spend your time? Do you invest in others to tell them about Jesus? Is that driving your decisions? Or is it the next career move? A back the worldwide spread of the gospel. And you see, the spread of the gospel is not only here in this building. It's primarily out there in the offices. You know, at work, we, we like to subcontract out many things, especially the kind of work that we don't like. Uh, we get someone else to do it, delegate, or you do it offshore. The work that we don't like, we put it away. But this is one thing that you cannot, you cannot subcontract out. Uh, do, do you speak to your colleagues about Jesus? Uh, do you tell them that they need to repent? Do you tell them that forgiveness is on offer? Or are you too worried about your reputation? So I'm, I'm not saying not to be tactful, but you know how it is. We sometimes use tact as a cover-up for our fear. So remember that Lord Jesus is right now sitting at the Father's right hand. And he's reigning, and he commands you, commands me, to back his gospel to the nations. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that the Lord Jesus is right now at your right hand, drawing many people to himself. And we ask that in your kindness, would you please fill us more with your spirit so that we will be very bold to speak of these great truths. In his name we pray. Amen.